0: Welcome to the first edition of Schoolhouse Talks, Voices in Utah Education, a podcast from the Utah State Board of Education. My name is Ryan Bartlett, and I'm the Director of Communications at the State Board of Education. Over the coming months, we plan to take you on a journey into the Utah education system through story and sound. With our State Superintendent of Public Instruction, Sydney Dixon, we'll be visiting schools and classrooms throughout the state where we'll speak with educators, students, and administrators to learn more about the good things that are happening in Utah education. In this episode, which focuses on Utah educators, we'll be hearing from Utah's 2023 Teacher of the Year, Chad Warnick. But first, Superintendent Dixon explains why we chose teachers as the topic for today's episode. Then, four students from the Salt Lake area tell us about their favorite teachers. Why are teachers important? Why did you Decide that teachers would be a great way to launch this podcast as a topic.
1: Everybody has a story about a teacher. For me, it was my grandmother. She was my very first teacher as a student in a two-room rural schoolhouse. She was my teacher, actually first through third grade. And I just thought everything she did was magical. I did not have being a teacher on my radar Um, But certainly when that time came and I saw it as a calling, I thought back to my grandmother and realized how she just truly created magic and influenced so many lives out of doing very simple and basic things like loving her students, getting to know them, spending time with us. We engaged in service projects. We learned to knit and crochet in her classroom. We did wonderful art projects. We learned to love literature. We learned about the Constitution, and it goes on and on. Those were things that I experienced in a two-room schoolhouse with a wonderful grandmother as my teacher. Second to parents who are their child's first teacher, teacher are the most influential adult in a child's life, and everybody seems to have a story of success or challenge that somewhere a teacher along the way impacted their thinking, their behavior, or helped them create a dream for themselves. So when I ask people about their journey, which I often love to do, so frequently a teacher is mentioned in that journey. And I wanted to highlight the wonderful teachers that we have here in Utah as part of the journey of education. While we're on the road to awesome, that road is paved with a lot of great teachers along the way. My favorite teacher is probably Mr. Hartzler. We call him Mr. H. Um, I really do love him because he, he can manage the class and he knows what we're supposed to do and he can get us to do stuff and make it fun. My favorite teacher was Mrs. Goldberg because She made learning in her class really fun and involved the students in a lot of the activities and made me wanna come to school every day.
0: My favorite teacher will probably be um, Mr. Babinski. We call him Coach Babbo. I think he's, I would say he's my favorite teacher because he interacts with the students and lets them choose what they would like to do which makes learning or like what we're doing fun. My favorite
1: teacher is Mr. De Cruz, Mrs. Delacruz, because she makes the math fun and she really helps and it really helps us learn and yeah.
0: On a recent visit to North and South San Pete School Districts, we had the opportunity to tour the new greenhouse behind Manti High School with two ag students and their teacher Mr. Kilmer. Outside the greenhouse, Superintendent Dixon asked the two students what important lessons they had learned from Mr. Kilmer and from their experiences in f f a
1: right, uh, let's it. Uh, can we interview you? Can we record you? Oh, yeah, go yeah, for it, okay, so what's the most important lesson that you think you've learned from um your f uh, f a work for me, it's not like there's kind of a stereotype. For like ag like you have to be a farmer you have to dress a certain way you have to act a certain way and that's not really true because I've never lived on a farm but I've like had a garden in the past and so that's kind of inspired me to join FFA is that you don't really have to fit the mold in order to be a part of it and that's how like I've gotten other people involved is that like hey you don't have to be a certain way in order to participate in something you enjoy so yeah it's yeah. one thing that I've learned yeah. how about you
0: um, so I started out through FFA as a 4-H member, showing livestock and raising animals for the fair every year. And I kind of agree with Cheyenne. it's taught me that it's not just a stereotype. It's friends you meet, and that's why I joined the football team this year. This is my very first time being on the football team, and it just kind of shows you to show you that there's not a stereotype for FFA. FFA involves everyone. FFA is a part of everyone's lives, and it matters to everybody. Yeah, that is
1: brilliant. I love that. Yeah, thank you.
0: About 100 miles away, on the other side of the Wasatch Mountains, in the small town of Delta, Utah's 2023 Teacher of the Year, Chad Warnick, was teaching his ag students at the Delta Tech Center. Mr. Warnick took some time during his prep period to speak with Superintendent Dixon about his approach to teaching and about some of the lessons he has learned from being a teacher over the past 13 years.
1: We are here with Chad Warnick, our Delta Tech Center uh Phnom teacher who has been named as the 2023 Teacher of the Year. Chad, it's so good to be with you and good to see you. And we're going to spend a few minutes this morning chatting on your prep period, of course. So thank you for being with us. Chad, I'm always so interested in how people get to where they are, the journey of becoming a teacher. So how did that happen for you? Just share your story with us.
2: You know, I don't know that I really planned on being a teacher to start with, um, but I did know I wanted to be involved in youth development, and I had the opportunity growing up being involved in 4-H and in FFA, and I knew I wanted to do something along those lines. And so I pursued an approach towards becoming a 4-H leader, and when I went to college and thought, you know, I'd head down that path, I went into a building where I knew that that's where a lot of people went to become a 4-H leader, and After finding a few empty offices, I finally found Dr. Tarpley and said, I I want to be a 4-H leader. And he said, why? He said, I want to make the difference in the lives of students. He said, if you want to do that, you can do it as a 4-H leader, but you can do it more as an FFA advisor and an ag teacher. And so 15 minutes later, I had a four-year plan, and I was going to become an ag teacher. And since then, I've never looked back, and it's been one of the best decisions of my life.
1: Well, in everybody's journey, there's a story of a teacher, and your awesome dad was also Teacher of the Year back in 1990. Such an honor to meet Waldo Warnick, and, and so excited to make that connection, which we didn't know until the night of your announcement. So I'm sure that he had an influence, but also there were probably other teachers that now that you're reflecting back had an impact. Can you talk about those teachers on your journey that may have influenced your decision to become a teacher?
2: No, I was blessed to grow up in Delta, and I had a whole host of amazing teachers and just taught me a lot of different things along the life that I think we all have those great teachers. But besides um, Dr. Tarpley, who helped me to know that I want to become an ag teacher, um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my own ag teacher, Dwayne Eakins, who taught me how to do all types of things from public speaking and parliamentary procedure and dairy cattle judging. Um, went up to Utah State, and there was a professor there whose last name was Warnick, just like mine, but no no close relation, Dr. Warnick, and he helped teach me about inquiry-based learning and helped me on that journey. And then, of course, my my own dad, who um, taught for many years um, in the same school. In fact, I'm in his classroom. He taught woodshop and cabinet making, but being able to uh, learn from him and be able to see what a good classroom setup is and how to have good classroom management and inspire students.
1: Well, I've had the gift of watching you in action. And so translating what you just talked about with the journey you had with teachers who influenced you, you have stated more than once that, you know, you're a person that you're aware of your students and their potential, and you really try to help them find their path in life. So how how do you do this? What does that process look like? I, I know what I observed, but I'm really curious about your metacognitive approach to that. How do you how do you tap into a student's potential and bring that out in them?
2: You know, when I see students, I try to always find out what are they interested in and build from there. And just like in agriculture, you know, we, we plant seeds and then later we harvest. Uh one of the main ways I get potential out of students is I plant a seed of, you know, I think you'd be good at this or Um, Have you ever considered trying this? And then I just walk away and let it kind of um, develop and germinate and come back and ask them later on. And most of the time they'll say yes. But kids are instinctive in the fact that when you ask them to do something, especially if it's challenging, they're going to say no. So I do my walk away method and the kids will usually respond. And so I've had students who have done all types of things from choosing to raise animals to um, competing in competitions to... Uh, taking on officer and leadership roles that really push them outside their comfort zone. But when they reflect back, it's something that they're they're grateful for because it allowed for them to apply what we're teaching in the classroom in a hands-on, personal, um, relevant way in their life.
1: Yeah, I so appreciate that. I've noticed that in my own family with nieces and nephews who were, have been involved with Future Farmers of America, and just the opportunity to have that coaching from an adult and help them raise an animal and take it to show, uh, to watch their confidence. A couple of really bashful kids suddenly have confidence in speaking and making eye contact and carrying themselves different. Just things that are lifelong lessons. Our ag teachers are masterful. I had the opportunity to be in your classroom and watch the first dissection of the year. And that was Boy, that was something to behold. I want you to talk a little bit in a minute about how you organize with a community, a small rural community like Delta seems to be able to rally around you and the projects that you work on with your kiddos. So I want you to talk a little bit about kind of that community connection that you've had and the things that you're trying to do and expand. But to watch these kids come in and have everything so prepared to unfold the reproductive organs of a cow and to see all the prep work that went into helping them understand the different reproductive parts and then be able to be hands-on and look at all of that. Uh, Just kind of talk about the preparation that goes into your hands-on work, because the work of an ag teacher is very much project-based, hands-on. How do you prep all of that and work with the community to bring those experiences to the kids in a very rural area that's just so full of energy and potential and awesomeness?
2: I'm grateful to be able to live in Delta and to have the relationships and connections that we have. And our community has been all in and supporting our program. So recently when we did our dissections, I just had to call up our local butcher and say, hey, you know, this is what I need. And he said, okay, when do you want it? And we were able to uh, have those things so we could be able to dissect and it's more than that you know we teach a floral design class and you know i invite a guest designer in once a month to help share with kids a different style than what i do so that they can have more influence and most of our designers that come in ask if they can do it every month because they love the interaction with the students so much we have a school farm that when we first started wasn't much and our community has come in and helped to build this amazing facility in there, and people have donated their time, their equipment, um, some people have donated money, whatever it is. And so, we have really great resources that helps connect kids with the careers that are here. And our community is able to come in, whether it's to be a guest speaker, be a chaperone on a field trip, to be a, a judge or a coach for a kid, maybe in a public speaking contest, an event contest, or a whole host of other things. So, the biggest thing when getting community support is to not say no for them, ask them ask them how they can help, how they want to help. And usually once they've done it the first time, they're hooked and they'll just keep saying, what more can I do to help you? And it'll build in your community pretty fast.
1: I love seeing those routines in your classroom. There was a, a girl that I was sort of sidled up next to looking over her shoulder and without any prompting, she looked at me and kind of whispered, I love this class so much, but I am so not into this. And I am sure over time, again, that was the first dissection, but just watching, nobody backed off and said, I'm not doing it. Everybody followed the procedures, the safety procedures, and they got right in. Some were more eager than others. But what have you noticed over time through through the semester? What will you see in your kids over time that you're so proud of?
2: Yeah, I can't help but thinking the first time I ever did a dissection, I had most of the drill team in the class, and they didn't want to participate at all. I said, that's fine. Just stay close to where you can kind of see what's going on. And as we started doing it and they were able to see, they started getting closer and closer and closer. And it ended up being that as we got further and further in, they started picking up the tools. And then they were in there, and they were almost pushing the other kids out of the way so that they could do it. Sometimes students just need to have the permission That's okay to try something. Sometimes kids just need to be able to... um, try it a little bit and say, oh, I kind of like this. And not everything has to be that way, such as with dissection. It can be something like getting up and doing a group presentation. You know, we start with some small stand-up and shares, and then we try and grow it in to where our seniors are writing prepared speeches and presenting on them, or they're demonstrating parliamentary procedure, or they're doing uh, different types of team-building group activities and workshops that they're teaching to younger kids. And so it's starting small, getting comfortable, and then continually pushing that comfort zone larger and larger so that they can try and do more and more things.
1: I love that. And you've got some big plans. I I appreciated being in your setting and knowing that you're thinking about and working on putting an orchard in and having all these opportunities for kids. Um, I got to see your greenhouse that's almost completed. So as you try to expand offerings for students, uh, what does that mean to the community? How does that relate to rural Utah or wherever they want to move? How does that build up your community as you're thinking about building up individual students? Because you're doing both at the same time, building a student, building a community. I'd love being able to, to see that. What are you, how, can you talk a little bit about what you've noticed over time as you build out some of these projects for kids and, and provide them with opportunities?
2: So my first year teaching, sometime in the spring, I remember a student in my animal science class in frustration as we were having another lecture or video or whatever it was that day, said, Mr. Warnock, are we ever going to do anything with animals? And so I stopped and reflected very quickly and thought, yeah, I can't imagine um, taking a woodshop class from my dad and not doing anything with wood, but here I am teaching animal science class and we aren't doing anything with animals. So we stopped our lesson right there, had a conversation. The next day, we went up to some property next to the school that the school district owned that had some old sheds and corrals and let the kids say, okay, what's your vision? What do you want to do? What type of experiences do you want to have? And they wrote down their ideas. We spent the next few class periods having them organize their ideas. They developed plans on what type of facilities they wanted, what materials they would need, and they made Um, proposals and presented them to the class. We took the best idea from those classes, put them into a final proposal, went to the school board and the kids shared with them their plan. The board approved their plan when we took it to them and that started us building a a pig facility. And so now we had this opportunity for kids to go up in class and have hands on opportunity with pigs and kids could raise their own pigs there. And from there, we expanded into now we have dairy cattle. We've raised chickens, and we've had rabbits up there, and we do a lot of goats. We've even had a wild horse and a wild burrow that we did a program with the BLM. We've just finished a pheasant facility. We're building an orchard. So all these things have just snowballed from student interest. And every year, we let the students that are in that year say, what do you want the focus to be? And so we try to continually go back and have the kids have a voice in choosing what they want in their education, And then now, when we talk about animal health, we don't give shots just to oranges. Now we go give them to the animals. And that's a totally different experience. And so when we're talking about raising plants, we're not just talking about, you know, plants need fertilizer. We're analyzing the soil and selecting what fertilizer to give to maximize the plant potential. And those changes are being hands-on and relevant. And inquiry-based have been a big change to my students and how they approach my class.
1: I love that you've used student voice to help create a lot of these projects and that it translates back to no matter what they decide to do in terms of a pathway, they're learning life skills and things that can just sustain them in their own home, wherever they might locate. So that's just brilliant. Um, You know, you were a real inspiration to the committee who selected you to be our teacher of the year, representing teachers across the state. So what advice would you give to other teachers or those desiring to be teachers in a time when it's hard to be a teacher, no question. What advice do you have for your peers or those thinking about being teaching of of why they need to come and why they need to stay?
2: You know, over on my filing cabinet, I have a an old copy box and I don't know why that's what I use, but every time I've gotten a little thank you card or a graduation announcement or wedding announcement or whatever, after I read it, I've thrown it in there. And that box is the reason why I teach. It's these kids who have reached out to me while I've taught them after, and they share with me the impact that I've had, and that's why I got into teaching. Um, I knew um, that I wanted to be in youth development because someone made a difference in my life, and I want to be that person and continue. So when I have a day when I feel maybe a parent's ripped on me a little bit or we've got a new mandate from the administration or whatever it might be, that's my go-to box, and I can go in there and I can get strength. And as I see these kids who are now many of them adults with their own families, and I see them in the community, I see the difference that hopefully I had in their life and the connection that we were able to have. And um, that's the reason why I teach. And I hope that anyone who's in the profession and considering leaving, or those who are trying to enter the profession, you know, know that we really need to make that difference in their lives because if not who's going to do it um if we're not going to do it and if we're not there to do it their experience maybe won't be as good we'll continue to see things go in a downward trajectory instead of an upward one that hopefully each of us can have an impact on improving
1: um what do you do when you're not teaching and knowing you in a small community i don't know that you have a lot of free time but what do you like to do when you're not in the classroom?
2: Uh, A few things I really enjoy doing with my free time is obviously I still like to chase my kids. You know, they're involved in wrestling, my boys, and I love doing that. My girls are involved in um, dancing, musicals, and enjoy being able to do that. Uh, For myself, I enjoy smoking meats. That's a really fun thing to be able to do. And then being able to go and do um, target shooting, hunting, fishing, getting into the mountains. I think that's a really good way to relax and spend some time. And we're living in the best time of year right now, which is college football season. And that's the other way I really like to spend and enjoy my time.
1: Well, thank you for your time. Uh, It's just, we are so honored to have you serve as the teacher of the year. You represent all teachers so well. It was a great pleasure and honor to be in your classroom and to see firsthand how you interact with your students. It's just such a very caring, fun, intentional way to help them reach farther and um, find their potential every day so thank you so much chad for everything that you do the way that you represent and the way that you show up for your students each and every day we're really proud of
2: you Well, thanks for having me
0: on our next episode of schoolhouse talks we'll hear from another great educator john arthur a sixth grade teacher at meadowlark elementary and utah's 2021 teacher of the year Here is a short clip from that interview. One day I was reading a book and I came across this quote by Frederick Douglass that said, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And I realized in that moment that up until that point, I'd been a broken man and I wanted to dedicate the rest of my life to building strong children. And so I have. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions for Superintendent Dixon, For ideas of topics you'd like to hear about in future podcast episodes, please feel free to send me an email at ryan.bartlett at schools.utah.gov. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next month on Schoolhouse Talks, Voices in Utah Education.